0: And I've enjoyed this little series uh, that God laid on my heart about God just using ordinary people, and that's really what we all are, as we're ordinary people. God has the ability to do something with our lives, something extraordinary. Tonight we're going to look at uh, the last of these. I've enjoyed the character studies behind each one of these individuals, and tonight we're, we're going to talk about yet another one of these uh, extraordinary uh, individuals in your life, let me, let me start this way tonight, thinking about this, have you ever done something in your life that you regretted? <laughs> I think I struck a nerve right there. <laughs> in other words, so you're saying tonight that if you could, there's probably been some times in your life where you wish you could have had a do-over. Y'all know what a do-over is? You know? And, uh, and, and, and a lot of times in our lives, we do things and, and we think to ourselves, wow, <laughs> I wish I could take that back. And I was reading this account of back in 1929, uh, the 1929 Rose Bowl. This is, a, this is a true story of a member of the UCLA Golden Bears team committed the worst blunder in college football history. Early in the scoreless second quarter, the Bears recovered a fumble by the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. The Bears' All-American center scooped up the ball, spun, and ran 65 yards toward the goal line to the wrong end of the field. Ran all the way in, scored, was so excited about it. The problem was he scored for the opposite team in the locker room at halftime. Here they are, the team's in there, and they were surprised that the head coach of the team announced that there would be no change in the lineup for the second half of the game. They couldn't believe that. But there was a man in that locker room, a player by the name of Ray Riggles, whose name, because of what he did on the field in the first half of the game, He became known as Wrong Way Ray. They started calling him that, but Ray spoke up. He actually protested against the coach that said there would be no change in the lineup. And he told the coach, he says, look, I can't go back out there because of embarrassment. He said to his coach, I can't go out there and face those people. And the coach said to him, the game is only half over. Get out there and get going. Ray took the field along with his teammates, and he determined to do much with the second half of the game. The Bears did lose the game, despite Regals outplaying his opponent, Georgia Tech's All-American center on the other side of the ball. The next season, however, rolled around, and Wriggles was voted team captain, and his performance that year helped the Bears finish the season at 7-0 one and one, in 1991, now that happened in 1929 at the Rose Bowl. In 1991, Ray was, Riggles was inducted into the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame. <laughs> I, I would say that Ray probably thought, wow, I'm glad that somebody gave me a second chance, that my coach allowed me to go out there, that he encouraged me to go out there And that do-over really paid off for Ray. And listen, I think about the person tonight, the man we're going to look at, he was just like Ray. He needed a second chance. Matter of fact, the guy we're going to look at tonight, he needed a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance. I think all of us understand a little bit about the apostle known as Peter. And that's right. Did you hear what I said? The apostle Peter. This is the same man. He's well known when you look through the New Testament. He was a man known for his hasty words. He was a man known for his reactions to things and the quality of his life as as he began to live his life and and, and spend time with the Lord. That that quality of his life was something that was ordinary, but what went from ordinary to extraordinary for Peter was this matter of courage. And that courage came in spite of, of the doubts and in spite of the fears. That's something all of us face in life is we doubt things. I talked to a man after the service this morning who raised his hand in the service whenever I asked if if there was someone here that did not know for sure. And I talked to him for a little bit afterwards. I invited him to come up to the church this week so that we could sit down and discuss with him what is some of the issues that Uh, maybe things he might be doubting in his heart about his salvation. A lot of people are gripped by fear. Uh, Fear gets a hold of us. It causes us to be paralyzed. And as somebody identified and defined courage, here's how they defined it there in your notes. Courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Peter was one that He found this in his own life, early on in the life of Peter. I want you to look at what the Bible says in Luke 5 and verse 4. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, which is Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net." And when they had done this, or this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. On this particular day, early in the ministry of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Jesus was calling out his disciples, one of them was the man we're looking at tonight, Peter was amazed at the power of God. How Jesus miraculously, they had been out there all night. And they had caught nothing. I mean, these were experienced fishermen. In Luke chapter 5, in verse number 10, part of that verse, Jesus said unto Simon, fear not from henceforward, from this moment on. Peter, look, your life's been about stinky, smelly fish. And he says, from this point on, Peter, he says, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. He says, you're going to help people come into the kingdom of God. He says, listen, you're going you're to help catch men. And that night, Peter, later on that same evening, what did Peter do? Well, we all know what happens. Jesus comes to them as they're in the boat, and he, as he comes to them, Peter steps out of that boat, and he walks on water. He's the only one of the... Of the, of the apostles that actually got out of the boat, he took this amazing step of faith. And I know what you're going to say. Well, listen, didn't Peter begin to sink? Sure he did. I mean, we all know that distractions happen in this particular instance. What was it? For Peter, it was the wind and the waves. you got to remember, he fished his lifetime on that small body of water that many of us have been privileged to be on a boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Peter knew how turbulent the storms can happen out there, how quickly they could come. When he heard and saw the effects of the wind and he saw the waves because of it, he took his eyes off the Lord. So that's what happens in our lives is we're walking towards God. We're taking steps of faith. That was a huge step of faith for him to get out of that boat. And that's what God, look, God wants us to live by faith and not by sight. Peter steps out of that boat, and because of what was going on around him, it took his focus away from where it needed to be. He didn't have the courage. He was gripped by fear. After Jesus uh, reached out and helped Peter, helped him up, he said unto him, look at the words, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He didn't say, Peter, you don't have any faith. He just said, if I could say it correctly tonight, that Peter's faith was un poquito. Did I say it right? Okay, I was close. That's a white person's version right there. He had little faith. Listen, that, that, that ought not be the case in the life of a child of God. I mean, you think about how many times God has worked in your life. Think about all that the Lord... Look, how many times has God shown himself strong in your life? How many times has he come through for you? How many times has he answered a prayer for you? And listen, if he had the power to do it then, he can do it again and again and again. But just like Peter, oftentimes our faith is that big. Instead of having a great faith, a faith that can move mountains... Jesus says, Peter, look, he says, why did you doubt me? On another occasion, Peter was rejoicing with the apostle Paul and, and, and about God's work among the Gentiles, and God was beginning to, to move. Uh, uh, the, the gospel had gone forth to the Gentiles, and these people that had been afar off, now they, they had had the privilege to hear the gospel, to hear the good news about the death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus died for all people. And Peter was rejoicing in that with the Apostle Paul. But when a group of Jews from Jerusalem showed up, something happened. The Bible records that Peter backed away from the Gentiles. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid of what the Jews, what they would think about him. Look what it says in Galatians 2.12. Before that certain came from James, Notice he did eat, Peter did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. The reference there, who's of the circumcision? Who is that? That's the Jews. So here's Peter. Look, Peter is, he's enjoying fellowship with his new brothers and sisters in Christ who were Gentiles? But here comes a bunch of Jews, and Peter says, "Oh, they might think something bad about me." He separates himself from them out of fear of what they would think about him. Look, moments of faith in Peter's life were followed by moments of doubt and fear. That's nothing new, you know. You see a lot of that happening in the Bible. A lot, great moments of faith, and then what do you see? Now think about Elijah on the mountain. Here's here's Elijah. And, and he prays down fire from heaven. And God wipes out all the prophets of Baal. And what is Elijah doing not long after that? He's hiding for his life. He's afraid of a woman. <laughs> she was a very powerful woman, you know? But he's, he's hiding for his life. Look, moments in our lives, moments of faith can be followed by moments of doubt, moments of fear, look at Mark fourteen thirty one. He spake the more vehemently, here's what Peter said, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise, likewise also said they all. Peter wasn't the only one, all of them said, Lord, we would never, we would never deny you, and and yet what happens? Well, we know that Peter, he boasts, but his boasting was no match for the opposition that he faced. Look what it says in Luke chapter 22. This is a, a sad incident here. The Lord turned and he looked upon Peter and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly because there was no courage, no faith there. It was little faith. Fear got the best. Peter was in a Desperate need of a do-over. He Peter's first worst fear came a reality in his life. He had denied the Lord in his greatest hour of need, and Peter, like all of us, from time to time, Peter needed another another chance, a second chance, a second half of the game. Listen, God still had something for Peter to do. Just like that coach said, "Look, hey Ray, it's only halftime. Get out there and play the second half of the game." You know, when you think about Peter's life so many of us need that second chance. God provided it. Well, how did he do it? Through the news of Jesus, that Jesus had risen as he had said. And Peter struggled all his life as Peter struggled with fear. But what was the the ordinary man with this extraordinary courage? He was a man that learned some lessons. And I think that those lessons that Peter learned are lessons that If we'll listen to the word of God tonight and learn from Peter's life, it'll help us to not allow fear to keep us from doing what God's called us to do. Notice the first lesson that I saw in Peter's life was this matter of Peter's returning to his default, and when we return to our default, it leads to defeat. You know what a default setting is, right? A lot of times you think about this. What was Peter's default setting? It was to go back to do what? Fishing. See, that's what he knew best. I remember when God called me into the ministry, and, and, and God began to move and work in my life, and my wife and I, we began to pray, and God began to share some things and show some things and give us some direction. And, and I had opportunities where people were saying to me, you know, I remember one time the man I was working for, he said, look, He said, why don't you you go to, I know you want to go to Bible college. He says, I've got another business down in Springfield, Missouri. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, if you want, he says, I'll make you the manager of that business that I have in Springfield, Missouri. If you'll go there, he says, I'll put you in charge. And I thought to myself, I thought, wow, that's a pretty good deal. But you know what? It wasn't God's will for my life. It would have been an easy route for me to go. And, and look, a lot of times I thought to myself, well, if things don't work out. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I could just go back to construction work. See, all of us have some sort of default that we can go back to. But listen, once you have, once you have stepped out by faith, going back, it's never going to be the way it was before you stepped out by faith. Did you hear what I said tonight? If you've spent time with the Lord, then understand that it's going to be better than it was back then. And I want you to see for Peter, look at John 21 in these first 12 verses, this matter of returning to your default, how it leads to defeat. The Bible says after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, which is a synonymous term for the Sea of Galilee. This is after Jesus had given his life as the Lamb of God. Now he comes back to them. He is risen from the dead. He appears, shows himself to his disciples there at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two other of the disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. Now remember... Peter says, I'd never deny you. I'd never walk away from you. And remember, all of them said the same thing. All of them said, we'd never do that. So Jesus now, he has been crucified. He has been buried. And so what did they do? They go back to the fishing hole. Every last one of them. You can't just point the finger at Peter tonight. I know we're studying his life, but guess what? They all went, but Peter was the one who says, I'm going fishing. Fishing's no fun when you go by yourself. I mean, you know, for me, a lot of times fishing not fun, period, but I definitely don't like to fish by myself. It's like going to the golf course. Listen, going golfing by yourself is no fun either. You know, going hunting is no fun. You got to have somebody to go with. That way that you can come back and tell everybody about, about how, the great game that you shot and you've got somebody going, yeah, that's what he did. You know, I caught 10 fish. Yeah, they were big ones too, you know. And you have somebody to back, somebody to, 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 to enjoy that time together with. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And every one of them went along with him. And the Bible says they fished all night and they caught nothing. And when the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then saith Jesus unto them, children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, no, he's on the shore, he's, he's uh, saying out to them while they're in the boat, do you, do you have anything, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And he says unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes, therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's that? John. So the disciple that Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded, he put on his fisher's coat. The Bible says, for he was naked and did cast himself in the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw coal of fires there, fish laid thereon and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, bring of the fish which ye have caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 150 and three, for, and for all they, there were so many, yet was not the, the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, come and dine, and none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. So here's the scenario. Jesus comes to them, he appears to them, he's on the shoreline, he's, he's speaking out to them while they're out there on the boat, he, he says, "Hey, look, have you caught anything? You know and here they are, as Jesus is there, he had promised them, remember what the Bible tells us, as Jesus was heading to the cross, he promised them that he would meet with his followers in Galilee. So here he is.' He's, he's in Peter's hometown area and as he as he first shows up, the Bible records that Peter wasn't there and and so the angel says, and he, you remember in mark sixteen seven The angel said to them, go your way and tell his disciples and Peter, because he wasn't there. See, Jesus called him out by name. He says, I need you to go tell Peter, and he says, there you shall see him as he said unto you. And because of his fear, what did Peter do? He did exactly like Elijah did. He did exactly like many of us do when we're gripped by fear, Peter somehow He he isolated himself. He got away from everybody else because he was afraid for his life. He was filled with questions as Peter thought to himself when word got to him, hey listen, Jesus is asking for you. He wants you to come. He's thinking as he's making this journey from Jerusalem to Galilee, maybe like that that Ray Rendles, uh, Regals did is that maybe, maybe Ray didn't want to get into that game for embarrassment. Maybe Peter didn't want to come back because he was embarrassed because he had denied the Lord. You ever think about that? I think sometimes in our lives that's exactly what happens is, is we've done something and we know what we've done and we're, what we're thinking is what would other people think? Do you know there are people that do not respond as God is dealing with them in the services? They do not respond at an invitation because they're in the service and they think, if I go forward, what will people think about me? You know, we've got to get beyond that. We've got to get beyond what would people think. The only thing that matters is what does the Lord think? That's the only thing that matters. We should always be willing to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. But see, Peter goes back to his default. And here he is, he he decided to go back to what he knew and that was fishing. So he told his friends, what did they do? They joined him and their efforts were in vain. They toiled all night, they caught nothing. And and listen, it, it shouldn't have surprised them because back in John 15, when Jesus gave that tremendous discourse on the vine and the branches, and Jesus talked to them and here's what he said to them in verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do what? Nothing. So here they are. They're out there. He's gone back to his default mode because of fear. Listen, fear will often lead us back to our default. In other words, to what is familiar. Where maybe our our flesh had control of it. Fear leads us backwards. Fear doesn't lead us forward. That's what happened in Peter's life, times where our flesh has control. See, Peter could control his fishing days. Peter could control the fishing industry. Now, he couldn't control the fish, but, but he had He felt like, hey, listen, I'm in control of my life. I remember what it was like before I met the Lord. If we have walked with Jesus like Peter did, the old life will never be the same again. But see, he thought it would be. See, what happened was he went back, and how much did he catch? Nothing. They they fished all night. In vain, they caught absolutely nothing. That's why when you think about this, listen, the most miserable people on the earth are those are not those who don't know God, it's those who know better than what they're doing. You know, there's, there's a lot of people out there like that. They're going backwards in life. Going backwards in life is no way to gain new ground for the Lord. In the, in the days of Elijah, here's a great example of what we all need to understand. Look at what Elisha did, did when God calls him, In 1 Kings chapter 19, the Bible says he returned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen and he slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave it unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. You know what Elisha was doing with that action? Elisha was basically saying this, I'm not going back. And he killed the oxen. He basically used the instruments, the yoke and other things, he burnt them up. There was nothing to come back to. See, that's what happens is we, we just think to ourselves, hey, look, I can always go back to what I was doing before. When things don't go the way that they should, out of fear, listen, I'll go back to what is comfortable, I'll go back to my default. And Peter's lesson that he learned was, while the pressures in life are there, and fear may come into our lives from time to time and it may tempt us to go back that all of that does when we go back is it leads us to defeat. Hey folks, listen. That is no life for the child of God. So understand that Peter helps us understand that returning to our default leads to defeat. But notice a second lesson he learns. He learned this that the provider is greater than the provision. The provider is greater than the provision. See, as Peter returned to fishing, here's what he did. He considered the what he needed instead of the who that he needed. The what. See, that's that's the way we are a lot of times in our lives is it's all about what I need to make it through life, what I need to pay the bills, what I need to make things work instead of who I need. Christ is all I need. Look, we need the Lord. People need the Lord. As Peter does this, look in John 21, verse number 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they said, No. And he says unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now when this happens, remember the verse that I read in Luke 5, verses 4 through 6? We're early in the ministry of Jesus. He calls them. And remember, they had fished all night and caught nothing. And here they are after the resurrection of Jesus. And it's it's almost like deja vu. It's almost like, wait a minute, have we heard this before? Because they're, they're hearing the Lord say, hey, haven't you caught anything? I mean, you're out here wasting your time. In John 21, look at verse number seven. Therefore, the disciples whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, it is the Lord. John says, Peter, look, do you hear that voice? It's the Lord. Jesus said that he was going to come to us, that he would rise again. Peter's response When when he hears what John says and he grabs this fisherman coat and he puts it about him and it gets to the shore as quick as he can, all of that suggests a return of Peter's awareness that Jesus could provide for him and Jesus could take care of him. When they get to the shore, I mean, wasn't it awesome that Jesus already had, he already had supper ready for him. He was waiting for them. In that moment, Peter realized, like hopefully you have by now in your life, is that Jesus is all that I want. He's all that I need. He had lost his purpose, and he let fear begin to call the shots in his life. And listen, all Peter really needed to do was just to trust the Lord. Look, I've seen people of all ages get in this scenario. Look what the Bible says in Psalm 34, verse 10. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Peter's fear and doubt led him to rely on himself for what he needed, to provide for himself. And yet what the Lord wanted him to realize is, Peter, listen, you don't need what, you just need me. Let me remind you of a verse that I hope that you're well familiar with. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And what's the rest of the verse? And all these things shall be added unto you. See, we put the cart before the horse. See, I I need this, Lord. I, I have to have this. And we try to put all these things, all the what, in front of the who. See, if you just put the Lord first place, which, by the way, that's where He belongs, that He should have the preeminence in our lives. See, sometimes fear causes us to get things out of order in our lives. We shouldn't let fear cause us to miss out on the joy of walking through life with the One who can bring us victory and provide for us. And Peter learned, listen, that if he goes back to his default setting, it's just going to lead to defeat. And he learned that the provider in his life was greater than the provision. I mean, you you think about a meal. Listen, you eat that meal and a couple hours, you're hungry again. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I'll give you water to drink that if you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. I can't think of anything that man has come up with that totally quenches my thirst eternally. Let's see, Christ can provide for us. And Peter learned that lesson. But then notice the third lesson that Peter learned tonight is that notice this: love liberates. Love liberates. Go back to John 21. Look at these verses. And I know this is a, a familiar portion of scripture that you've seen many times in verse 15. When they had dined, here they are, their bellies are full. You know, what do we do as Baptists when our bellies are full? It's time to take a nap, you know? Here they are, they've eaten. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, notice, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing to Peter when he asked him those questions three times? Jesus was confronting him. That's what he was doing. That's right. Think about how many times Peter denied the Lord and Jesus asked him the same number of times. He says, Peter, you say you love me. You know, I learned a long time ago that if if there is a, a lady in my life, to say you love them is one thing. But women like for you to show them that you love them. And there's various ways. You know, you don't always have to You know, go out and buy three dozen roses. You know, I learned a long time ago, just one rose sometimes works. And it's definitely more affordable. But Jesus said to him, lovest thou me more than these? Now there's some discussion among Bible scholars about what the these are. A lot of times you see that's a demonstrative pronoun. You can go back and... In the Word of God many times. and But see, in this instance, you'd have to go all the way back through Peter's life to try to figure, look, maybe the these was the fishing industry. Maybe the these was Peter's fishing buddies. Maybe the these were the fish themselves. Maybe it was that lifestyle. I don't know. Maybe it was a combination of of all of those things, Jesus was saying to him, look, Peter, he says, do you love me? I mean, Peter's like, Lord, you know that I love you. I mean, Jesus was saying, Peter, I know you. Remember what Peter said to him? He says, Lord, thou knowest all things. You know what all things includes? Peter, Robert, Guy, He knows us. Or should I say it this way? He knows the real us. See, he knew what was in Peter's heart. And and the thing I love about the Lord is is that, listen, yes, Peter had messed up. But can I tell you that failure isn't final? The wonderful thing about this is the love of God is greater far. I mean, Jesus, yes. He was hurt when Peter denied him, when Peter went back to the fishing hole. But do you see how much he loved him in spite of the failure that he went to him and he began to try to help him understand? Peter, look, if you love me, I still have a work for you to do if you're willing to prove how much you love to me. And so he gives him the opportunity. Peter, he's saying, get back into the thing that I call the Christian life. And what does Peter do? Peter obeys him. Peter gets that second chance. He gets back in the game after the the first half. And, And as best as I can tell, about seven weeks later, the same man that denied the Lord, the same man that went back to the fishing hole, went back to his default setting, the same man stands and preaches boldly on the day of Pentecost. The Bible records what a day that was. The Lord used him in a great way. Many came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Folks, honestly, there hasn't been a day like that almost since the day that Peter stood in Acts chapter 2. The Bible says, they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's the same man, the same man that ran in the opposite direction and scored a touchdown for the opposite team, the same guy that went to the fishing hole, the same guy that the Lord looked at when he heard the cock crow, the same one that Jesus gave his life for. Peter was a man that, yeah, he struggled with fear. The Bible goes on to record after the day of Pentecost that there was a day that Peter and John are now doing ministry. And the Bible records in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 where they're going into the temple at the hour of prayer. You know the story. They're going in and there's a man at the gate of the temple and he's lame. Peter stops and the man asks for an alms. He asks them for some money. Peter says unto him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. Give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What does Peter do? Peter boldly declares Jesus can change this man's life. That crowd that gathered because of that miracle that was performed that day, and by the way, it wasn't because of anything Peter did, it was the power of God that raised that man. But see, there was a crowd that gathered because of that miracle. And when they gathered, listen, what did Peter do? He preached Jesus. Look what it says there, and you know it's Acts chapter 3. Here's what Peter says to the crowd. The God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered, and ye, he says here, you denied him in the presence of Pilate, When he was determined to let him go, but ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. I mean, Peter stands there and boldly, don't sound to me like there's no fear in his life there. I mean, look, I looked at those words. How Peter says, you delivered him, you denied him, you denied the Holy One, you desired a murder and and granted unto you. You killed, he flat out said, you murdered the Son of God, and the people were shocked. Wasn't this the same man that just a short time before this was being controlled by his fear? It was. You know, I, I think about Peter and, you know, I think about the great theologian of days gone by, John Wayne. Remember John Wayne? John Wayne said this, courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyhow. See, sometimes that's what it's going to take to be a Christian. Fear is going to come. Peter Peter was a man that was stilled many times by his doubts and his fears, but Peter learned during those times that he needed to draw closer to the Lord and trust the Lord when the fears come. If we hope to make this journey of of Christian life to go from ordinary to extraordinary where God can use us, then what we need is what Peter had in his life, what he learned to develop, and that was a courageous faith in God. Peter stood as a champion for the Lord. God knows us just like he knew Peter. And can I tell you tonight, I don't know what it is for your life, but God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for your life, and that plan is not sitting around on the sideline. That plan is not sitting in the locker while the game's going on. God wants you to get out of the locker room. God wants you to get off the bench. God wants to use your life. Look, we have to resist the urge to go back to that which is familiar, like Peter did, go back to the default. We have to learn to trust that the provision of the one is greater than, than anything else, that God cares for us, and we must allow his love to do the work of freeing us from fear to step out by faith, and as John Wayne said, to saddle up again, you know, and just get back into the game, get back to what God's called us to do. And I know tonight you're sitting here thinking, well, God hasn't necessarily called me into ministry. That may be true, but God has called every one of us to be a full-time Christian, and it's going to take courage. It's going to take courage to talk to your coworkers. It's going to take courage to talk to your boss to talk to your neighbors, to talk to some of your family who want nothing to do with God. See, yes, Peter was an ordinary man, but God used Peter in an extraordinary way. But before God did, Peter had to learn some lessons. And those lessons are lessons that we need to learn. That yes, fear can come, but don't let fear cause you to go back to that which is familiar. And understand that the provider is always greater than the provision. And God's love liberates us. God's love sets us free. See, God says to us tonight, just like he says to Peter, he says, do you love me? And we're just like Peter. Lord, you know I love you. And can you hear him ask you again? Do you love me? All that feed my sheep, feed my lambs. You know what he was saying? Show me. He says, I'll help you, but you got to get past the fear and you got to have courage to live the Christian life. And I hope that God helps all of us this week to live a courageous Christian life. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the lessons that we have learned over these past few weeks Lord, the lesson tonight on the life of Peter, certainly we can, we can talk about all the negative things and all the things that Peter did that he shouldn't have done. Tonight I asked the question as I started, have you ever done anything that you wish you wouldn't have done? And I believe everybody said, yes, I have. I think many times we, we know what we're supposed to be doing, but because of fear, Just like Peter, when he was with the Gentiles, he withdrew himself because of what other people would think about him. God, I pray that you'd help us, help us, God, give us the strength and the courage, Lord, to trust you when those times come, that we would not rely on what other people would think, but we would always think about what would the Lord think of us. If we didn't witness and we didn't talk to someone and we didn't live the life the way that you want us to live, God, give us the courage. Use us in an extraordinary way. In Jesus' name we pray.